0: Welcome back to the Good News Podcast. My name is Ayebale, and I'm a pastor at St. Paul's Free Methodist Church in Greenville, Illinois. I'm currently going through the ordination process, and one of the great gifts that the church has given me uh, is the opportunity to be a part of their rotating pulpit. The message that you're about to hear has been pre-recorded, uh, but whether you heard it live uh, or long after it's been uploaded, I believe that the Holy Spirit is present. I hope you enjoy, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback uh, and comments. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a shout, Look, here, come, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the gospel of our Lord. You, Lord Please be seated. As I was... Preparing for this uh, this sermon, I was taken back to uh, one of one of the my earliest memories in the states, which was uh, my mom took my siblings and I, and we got to go uh, to the to the local library, and we got to watch Chicken Little. I don't know, has anyone ever seen Chicken Little? And so it's this movie about this uh, pipsqueak of a character who uh, who cries that the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and eventually. Uh, The town sort of makes him the laughing stock, and so he plays baseball to redeem himself. He figures this is what he's going to do to get his status back up, and and, uh, it doesn't go so well because he's not much of an athlete, and eventually, sometime later on, a piece of the sky seems to fall and hit his head, and then when he cries that the sky is falling once again, everyone's like, yeah, we've heard it. This is the boy who cried wolf, and no one believes in him, and I'm not sure about you, but I sort of find myself feeling one of, like one of the townspeople when it comes to stories or speculations about the end time. I don't know how many times in my short life I've heard that the sky is falling. I remember, I think the, the very last one was 2012, and maybe there was some sputter with the, with the coronavirus, and there always seems to be this prediction of when is it going to all end, and We're going to hear the trumpets blow and so on and so forth. So many times we have predicted again and again these catastrophic events that should or could be the end of our world. And as silly as it might seem that we keep trying to calculate and speculate and we continue to fail again and again, I think we're all curious about what does happen next. We're curious when we read books like uh, the book of Revelation or when we read uh, such a book as Daniel or even the primeval portion of Genesis, the first few uh, chapters in which you have talking serpents, you got these characters, they they take the rib. It's like, what's going on? But more often than not. As we realize how wild our imaginations can run and how, we, uh, uh, you know, how wild our interpretations can get, we sort of begin to coast and say, you know, maybe it's less stressful if I don't think about the end of the world. Maybe it's, uh, and I, it sounds like we're all on the same page. Maybe I don't need to put that much energy to it. I'll just leave it as something that is ambiguous and we'll leave it at that. Yet each week, an important rhythm within our worship is that we respond to the preached word by affirming the words of the Apostles' Creed. You can find these in the back of your worship folder. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, or Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. But the story did not end 2,000 years ago. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, God will bring with him Those who have died, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. These are Paul's words to the Thessalonians. And he writes as though it just might happen in his lifetime. We who are still here will be caught up in the air. And he is not saying that the sky is falling, but he is saying, be encouraged by these words. And this Sunday, we seem to have some pretty difficult texts, because on one hand, Israel's new Moses, Joshua, offers these words of encouragement on his farewell tour. He says, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive you your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn to you and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And then our gospel reading puts a nice bow on it by saying that the other bridesmaids said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It seems in all our efforts to leave this thing for some other day. We have to address it this Sunday. Joshua 24 provides a great backdrop as we navigate the difficult and and sort of terrifying texts if we are truthful. Moses' successor addresses a community that is very aware of their recent history as slaves and having been released. And this is now a new generation that gets to inherit the land that was promised to Abraham their ancestors. This is the moment that they have all been waiting for. Yet while they were liberated from Egypt, as they left the land of slavery, it seems that they were not liberated from their violence. It seems that they brought this violence with them into the land of Canaan in order to drive out all of these people. They are familiar with such violence, and it seems to be that the, this is the language that they understand God to speak in. You will drive out the Canaanites. There is, it is not left ambiguous that God has called them, apparently, to drive these people out by any means necessary. If you have to slaughter them, so be it. This is the natural consequence for their sin and for you being God's chosen nation. But allow me to make this suggestion that we are not the community uh, of the you know, first Thessalonians that was written to. We are not the initial readers or the initial audience of Matthew's gospel. And we are, we are also not the Israelites who are preparing to inherit this promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Yet through space and time, we share this sort of common uh, struggle, this common theme with all of these communities which is that we desire for God to be on our side. We don't want to be on the other side of God. We don't wanna be on the receiving end of being driven out or being destroyed or being left behind, so to speak. And so we seem to appreciate that a good indicator of God's favor is to be hashtag blessed, is to have a life that is filled with good things, milk and honey. And for us Christians on this side of history, I think that the pinnacle of God's favor would be something like heaven. This is where all of God's children go. This is our promised land. This is our land flowing with milk and honey. That heaven is our destination and we will get there no matter who we have to go through. This is our promised land. So, If heaven is our inheritance, when we say to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and him we will obey. Yet it's this perception that abundance and prosperity is what God has created us for. That we need to live into hashtag be blessed. Otherwise, God is maybe not with us or maybe God has forgotten us or that God doesn't care about us. Abundance and prosperity, these are the drugs that human beings have been addicted to since the dawn of time. These are the drugs that we have been addicted to in every generation that has passed and will continue to pass. Nations, companies, churches, families, individuals, all of them alike can be measured by what they have and what they don't have. And we often do it to ourselves. We measure what we have And what we don't have in comparison to what others might have. But in the quest for more and more and more and more, there will never be enough. We will continue to amass more and more and more. And it will never feel like we have actually gotten anywhere. There's always more to grab. And so these drugs distort reality. These drugs make us feel like we need to continue to get more and more, and so Jesus tells of this parable: this kingdom of heaven will be like this. There will be ten people, ten bridesmaids. Five of them are wise, and five of them are foolish. And they all take these lamps, and the wise carry extra oil, and the the foolish ones sort of leave it uh, uh, empty-handed, just with their with their lamps. And they all take their lamps, and as they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait for this bridegroom. Bridegroom seems not to show up on time. And so they get sleepy and they start to get lulled to sleep and they're drowsy. And then there's this call for them to wake up. The bridegroom is on the way. The call to keep awake in preparation for the bridegroom is an admonition that we seem to be for our own good. Right? Do what you got to do to be prepared for the bridegroom or you might miss out on your inheritance this thing that you are destined for. And yet within this parable, the wise are not wise because they stay awake and the foolish are not foolish because they fall asleep. The only distinction between the wise and the foolish is that five of them have extra oil. All of them fall asleep and all of them wake up at the sound of the call and all of them trim their lamps. And perhaps it is our deepest insecurities and our fears of divine judgment that sort of gravitate our eyes to the foolish ones. We do not want to be like the foolish ones. And so we conclude that this is what the call must be. Stay awake and keep that extra oil so that you do not miss out on your inheritance. That being foolish will be our demise as we slam our fists on the, on the uh, gate, on the banquet door, and we say, Lord, Lord, let us in. Open to us. And yet we are in a culture in which people hunt with full bellies. Most of us have an abundance of clothes. We have access to clean water. We have uh, means for education. And yet we frequently read ourselves into this parable as the foolish Uh, bridesmaids who don't have what they need in order to inherit uh, this feast that they're on the way to experience. The foolish bridesmaids didn't have extra oil as the wise ones did. And God forbid that we act as foolish as them and forget to bring our extra oil, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps they had the money and they just forgot uh, to get this extra oil. Either way, something must be said about their need to go back and to buy more oil, and in doing so, they miss the bridegroom's arrival. Beloved, let us not identify this morning as the foolish uh, bridesmaids. Instead, let us try to read ourselves into the story as the wise ones, because there's a lot more evidence that we resemble them than the foolish ones. And still... This scarcity that inebriates us sort of changes the reality, changes what our eyes are paying attention to. Because I think that this parable is not, it's not actually about individuals, but rather it's about a community that is broken. Now I'm not too good at math, but here's my calculation. Here's how I got to this, uh, this answer. There's 10 bridesmaids, five of them wise, five of them foolish, and that equals one community. Prior to leaving for the night, there's no distinction between who is wise and who is foolish until five of them leave behind the oil. And so they are on the way to feast with the bridegroom. And this happens to come at the cost of their neighbor if we keep reading. So five of them say, hey, we need we need extra oil. And what do the wise ones say? Mm -mm. The audacity. Why did you not bring your own oil if you knew that we could have been out here all night? You should have come prepared and now you're going to stand in the way of me getting the feast with the bridegroom. You think I'm going to give you that extra oil? I got enough for me and me only. Maybe you can ask the other four who got extra oil and they might give you some. But I'm going to make sure that I make it to this feast. This is the thing that I've been waiting for. But let me back up because I think that might be a little too harsh. I think that our rejection uh, might seem a little bit different. What it looks like to not share our oil. Perhaps it looks more like a self-isolation in which we're just not going to connect. We're going to watch what God does from the sidelines, and we, we, we can't waste anything that we have in our abundance and in our prosperity to get involved and to possibly lose the things that sort of keep us in this uh, trajectory of getting to this feast. Perhaps it looks like I can't build this meaningful connection with somebody who shares different political views or theological views or or ideologies that sort of contradict or conflict with mine and so therefore I can't afford to be in relationship with this person. It just costs entirely too much. You're going to have to find a different community to sustain you. You should have brought your own oil or perhaps... It's having little to no friends that we regularly hang out with who are from uh, a different race or a different country, or a different religion, socioeconomic status, or sexuality. We say it's going to cost too much. It's too much. I can't share my oil with you, but then I ask, what if Jesus wasn't messing around? If earlier in this very same gospel, he proclaimed that repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. This feast is not one that is simply about the afterlife, but that the sky has indeed fallen, and therefore Jesus Christ allows us to live a life in which God's will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I wonder if Christ weeps at the sight of us Christians who over time have become dependent on living in abundance And prosperity, this thin layer over the scarcity that runs our lives. Us Christians who over time have embraced a scarcity mindset with all types of reasons to hold very tightly onto the things that will take us to the feast, the things that we know will take us to the feast. And in our privileges and in our prosperity, we say to our neighbor, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. There's not, enough, there's not enough oil. The oil of resources, the oil of security, the oils of comfort, the oils of privileges. This parable is not a success story of the wise carrying extra oil. This is a tragic tale of a community that has failed to live into the purpose for which they were created. It is a tragic tale of a community that fails to experience the very thing that they set out for because half of them do as uh, they wish while neglecting the needs of the other five. As the wise are concerned for themselves and their inheritance, the wise bridesmaids really aren't all that wise. They are just like the foolish bridesmaids. They just have extra oil. And so this parable is one giant paradox as the call for preparation and staying awake seems to be the very thing that keeps us from being able to connect with one another. I got to make sure I don't make this God who seems to be fond of violence and can turn on a dime going from the protector to the inflictor of pain in uh, Joshua 24. I don't want to get on the wrong side of that God. I need God to stay on my side, and so I can't afford to sin through osmosis, or I can't afford to give my resources. I can't afford to share my privileges and uplift those without power. But today I ask you, what does your flask of oil look like? What is the thing that you are holding on to? That allows you to experience the divine anew in ways that you appreciate, in ways that fulfill your life, and in ways uh, that sort of connect you to the divine. But at the same time, when asked of by your neighbor, you say, I don't know if I can give that much. There has to be a limit somewhere. What is the thing that you have withheld from the community in fear that there might not be enough for you and for me? Could it be our time that we are too busy and too tired or too stressed to invest our time in our community? Whether that be the St. Paul's community, whether that be with your friends and your family members, whether that be uh, in the Greenville community in general. Convinced that we need to save this oil of time for ourselves. Could it be our talent that we are too busy, too tired, or too stressed to use our talents to love our neighbors? To serve our neighbors, to ensure that our neighbors see the pierced hands of Christ in the community and the washed feet. Could it be our treasure, not simply our money, but the materials that we cherish while our neighbors struggle to find a decent way of living? The lie of scarcity is that investing in a community might not yield in a good return on investment. That sharing the oil is risky business. What happens when they need more? Or what happens when they go and invite other bridesmaids who also need oil? How can we possibly sustain if we share the oil that we have? The lie of scarcity is that investing in the community needs a return on investment. Because at the end of the night, at the end of the uh, interaction, the the feast with the bridegroom will be what sustains the community. However, if all 10 bridesmaids look out for one another and the entire community might be sustained by the sharing of oil, the result could be that the entire community then experiences the kingdom of heaven that has come near as Jesus proclaims. The bridesmaids not only await for the groom, but the removal of pain and suffering. And while we cannot eliminate such experiences from our daily lives, we can help each other heal. We can carry each other's burdens to make a lighter load for all of us. For the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of heaven is near and the bridegroom's feast will sustain the entire community one bite at a time. And what if, just what if, this parable is not about the afterlife? What if this is a description of this daily life, this life that Jesus makes possible? Then we might have to repent, not with our words, but with our lives. For the ways in which we have told our neighbor, not with our words, but with our lives, that no, we don't have enough. You go and get your own. And then when you come back, we might be able to go and uh, meet the bridegroom together. But the good news is that we are all wise and we are all foolish in our own ways. And so the shoe sort of switches every other day. And there's times where you have extra and you can give. And there's times where you need someone to give you extra, their extra. Each day we have an opportunity to share the oil so that our neighbor does not miss the feast And in this story, what we might walk away with is that a faithful Christian is one who is foolish enough to say that I cannot eat with the bridegroom unless the other bridesmaids are with me. I cannot secure my own spot, my own well-being, my own future, my own everything if it comes at the cost of the people that I love and the people that I'm with. To do otherwise is to live in a shattered community. One that does not care for each other, one that does not sustain one another, and one that is primarily focused with our own prosperity, our own inheritance, and our own abundance. So only then, if we can share this oil, will we sober up from the lives of prosperity and abundance which mask the scarcity. And if we are okay with watching our neighbors suffer, and not experiencing the divine love that we might have experienced ourselves, if we do not, uh, if we're not concerned with whether or not they can join at the feast, then we ourselves might be liberated from slavery, but not from the seemingly benign violence that powers all of this. May we learn to share our oil and invite everyone to the feast, even if it means we might run out of oil. This is the word of the Lord.